Welcome to Behind the Band, the podcast where we're all about helping you grow your music career. We do that by talking with really awesome artists and people from the industry. Hey, my name is David Ryan Olson. If we haven't met, I run Evergreen Records. We are a production company, but we want to be a little bit more than that for you. We want to actually help you grow outside of the studio as well. So that's why we do things like this podcast. Real excited for our conversation today with a great indie rock band called Bad Bad Hats. It's a great conversation. We talk a lot about how to make things happen for yourself, how to network, how to form relationships, all that fun stuff. That's super, super critical for your success in music. Real quick before we do, just want to tease something. Soon, we are going to be launching a Discord community where you can connect with other artists and grow learn, talk about whatever you want, just kind of be around like-minded people. I know if you're like me, you've probably been feeling a little bit disconnected from the community and there's only so much that, you know, you can really connect with other people on things like Instagram. We're putting together a Discord community just so there's a little bit more of a ongoing conversation type feel. So be on the lookout for that announcement. We'll talk more about that next week. But for now, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our conversation today with Bad Bad Hats. All right, Carrie and Chris from Bad Bad Hats, how are you guys doing? We're doing great, thank you. Doing good, thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, super stoked to have you on your show, on this show, not your show, <laughs> but today it's your show. <laughs> thank you. You got a shout out a couple of weeks back from uh, Daniel from uh, Future Teens, and so we had to do what we could to get you on. So would love just to kind of jump in, and for those who don't know you, just go ahead and uh, share your story. So I'm Carrie, this is Chris, we are two-thirds of Bad Bad Hats. The other third is our friend Con Davison, um, who plays drums. We've been a band since about 2012. So we are nearing a decade of fun and rock and roll. <laughs> Chris and I started the band in college. We met our sophomore year. We each had music that we had recorded on myspace.com. We discovered each other via MySpace. I think those recordings are gone. For good. I don't know. I they, think so, yeah. Tom might have them on a server somewhere, <laughs> but I think they're gone. He's just everyone's friend, so, you know. <laughs> I know, yeah. Back in the day, though, that's where that was the best place for just putting up music to, to stream if you were just starting out. So we discovered each other's songs, and we liked what we were doing, but we also kind of liked each other. <laughs> uh, and we started dating, and we started making playing music together. And our senior year, we really wanted to bring it to the stage, bring it to the people. And our friend Noah Boswell transferred to our school. We went to McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and Noah transferred our senior year. And one day we were in the campus center and he had impulsively purchased a Mustang bass. And we said, perfect, <laughs> because we need a bass player. So we wrangled him into joining our band. He claims that he didn't realize he was joining a band. He thought he was just jamming <laughs> with friends. But then it was every Wednesday. Yeah, it was every Wednesday. We were like, okay, we'll see you next Wednesday. And he was like... Very structured, got shows, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he was wrangled into... To that, and we played with Noah for many years, and Khan joined about five years ago, nearing five years ago. Uh, Noah went to grad school a couple years ago, so now it's back to the power trio, mm -hmm. Khan, Chris, and Carrie. Here we are. Right on. I will say power trios are the way to go for rock and roll. It's diminishing returns after three, I think, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We've liked it. It was definitely good at the beginning of the band. It's funny because we've always written songs and recorded songs as though we have two guitar players or more or more <laughs> yeah <laughs> several guitar tracks <laughs> but there is something about just the three on stage it's very compact i can hear my voice really well on stage which i always enjoy and i think it it made us at least me a better musician at the beginning of the band because you are forced to sort of fill in all that needs to be filled in on guitar mm -hmm. so Right, right. So at the start of this band, even though like maybe some of your other members at the time were a little bit confused about this being, you know, a serious thing and not just jamming, <laughs> where were you at the very, very start in terms of like how serious you wanted to be and how much of a future you were like looking towards? 
I'm not sure. I know we put an EP on Bandcamp pretty quickly that year. I will say for myself, I feel like I've always been on a path. I knew from that I wanted to do songwriting from a fairly young age, like nine or 10. Oh, wow. I started writing lyrics. I did not know how to play guitar. I did not know that I could sing, but I really enjoyed writing lyrics. I thought maybe I would find like a partner who I could just write the songs for and they would perform them. Sort of, you know, I think that was like, like Elton, Elton John's John thing, vibe. Yeah. yeah. But there weren't, I wasn't finding my Elton John. <laughs> so at some point I thought, all right, well, I, maybe I could just fill in for myself. So in high school, I learned how to play guitar and figured out I could sing by recording myself and being like, that wasn't so bad. Maybe if I just, you know, keep at it, <laughs> get a little better. So I've wanted to be a songwriter from a young age, but I don't think I ever knew how that would play out. Mm-hmm. So it was fun to meet Chris and form a band. And I was never someone, I didn't play in like bands in high school or anything that, you know, did like Nirvana covers. <laughs> so Baba Hats is the first band I've ever been in. Oh, wow. That's a good success rate then. And it's worked out pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I just think, so in college, I would do open mic nights at the Dunn Brothers coffee shop that was on the corner. And I think just every time I performed, I felt like I got more and more positive feedback. So it's just every time I was like, I think this is going pretty well. And I'll just keep at it until I get more negative feedback than positive <laughs> feedback. <laughs> it's slow, it's slowly but surely, but I feel like every day, every year that passes is just, you know, incremental steps. So, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like I had a vision that I hoped I could have a job in music, but I was never quite sure how, what it would look like, but I'm pleased with where I've ended up. Yeah. I remember, I mean, I've always dreamed about being a rock star or something, you know, (laughs) every, every kid who learns guitar, I think thinks about that, but I didn't think it would actually be like a, my main job or something. Yeah. Totally. So when you're playing all these open mics and coffee shops and whatnot, how much were you playing at that time? Not that much. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, but the open mic nights were on Sundays. So I think I would go like a few times, like a semester. I wasn't playing like every day, like some people, you know, it's like the Beatles story. It's like they played the clubs of Hamburg like <laughs> every night. a thousand times and I probably would be better now if I had put in that much time. <laughs> but I was just, I would like bop over a few Sundays in a semester and play. And when I, I studied abroad and found an open mic night in Paris where I was studying abroad and I would go there a few times. And that was kind of funny because everyone there was American. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So they, I mean, which is good because I, my French continues to not be amazing, even though I lived there for six months. Um, so everyone could understand my very important <laughs> lyrics. Um, so that was good. Um, so yeah, I would do that there. And when I, I spent a summer in living with my grandma, um, and she would take me to the, there was like an Irish bar that had an open mic night. So I'd buy grandma a Guinness and prop her up, <laughs> you know, at a table. And she would be like, this is good. Great job. What are we doing here again? Okay. So yeah, so I would try I tried to I tried to play a fair amount, but I I definitely wasn't there like every night. When did it feel like you were starting to kind of get some traction on this project? I would say um Carrie was the manager of the radio station in McAllister and set up a battle of the bands and entered as Babbit Hats. Yeah, it was a little, you know, I was setting it up, but I had <laughs> I had ulterior motives of wanting to compete myself in a battle of the bands. <laughs> and there was no battle of the bands, so I thought, why not create the battle yeah. within which I but, can battle? But you didn't like choose who won or anything. No, no. It was but, like the yeah. fan the like the crowd clapped or something. That was like the voting. But yeah. like the day after that or something, one of the judges was Ian Anderson, who runs Afternoon Records and like I think it was the next day he got in touch with us and said, I want to sign you guys. And that was, and that was, yeah. So <laughs> that was like, I don't know how many songs we played, like three songs. We only knew how to play three songs and we played them <laughs> and we wowed them. We were okay. But I think for me, that's when I felt like, oh, we, there's like a label 
who wants to be behind this that felt like, you know, a good sign. And we weren't playing that many shows at that point or anything, but that felt like, oh, there's a direction here. And like, it's not totally just for fun. Yeah. It's like, oh, this this could be a path. That was very early in the band. And I think like Chris is saying, having that moment felt like, you, you know, it's like it's like the train track pieces are kind of like laid out and like all of a sudden it was like doop get on the train because like it's starting so yeah it felt like we had a direction and a uh, motivation to continue to me though that was like the very beginning but then when we released our first album psychic reader was like the next step that felt like again it was like okay we are progressing that was like when we got our first tour and felt like oh now it's a real project or something and that was like three years apart between yeah the afternoon record interest and then that album yeah yeah so i want to point out something real interesting there you kind of just like uh passed over it there but you were all like well you know there weren't like a ton of opportunities so i just started a battle of the bands (laughs) which i think is really awesome because there's kind of a lax attitude among a lot of independent artists where it's like waiting for opportunities instead of trying to figure out how to create opportunities and like yeah not every opportunity you create is going to end up being like your battle of the band story where it effectively you know got you signed and you made yourself win and no i'm kidding (laughs) well it is funny because we we lost the battle we did we were not the winners of the battle but you won the war exactly Exactly. (laughs) but it is funny you say that because i felt like at McAllister, um where i went to school there wasn't really like when we started at school there wasn't like a particularly like robust music scene on campus like there's the we have a college radio station but there weren't many like bands playing but as we sort of were getting older in college like by our sophomore junior year some of our friends were becoming more active and wanting to put together shows and wanting to play more and wanting to kind of create a scene so i think we we benefited from that energy as well, that a lot of our friends were trying to put together shows like in the there's like a basement venue in one of the dorms. <laughs> so they were putting together shows and not all of them were very, you know, successful, all memorable. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think I think I was motivated by that kind of energy from some of our friends. And so to me, it's uh, the battle of the bands was something that I had probably always wanted to do from when I was like young and I was like well yeah if I want to be in this I got I have to be the person to to create to set it. it up but then the freshman band won and that was very disappointing <laughs> <laughs> that was very disappointing <laughs> can you maybe share some of your ideas or tips for people who are maybe in that same situation looking to start or really energize a scene where there's not much of a scene I would say that I think we have friends and colleagues in the music industry who I think are very good at this. It's actually, you know, future teens who you spoke with. I think they've they've been very inspiring to me in the way that they're able to network with other bands and bring other bands together for projects and stuff. And I really admire that and sort of like look to them as a great inspiration for that. Um, and I think that is kind of like the the crux of it is just building the community and finding other bands who are doing what you are doing or something that you like and um, working together. Cause that was so important when we got out of college and we're like, okay, we're out of college. You know, we're not in school anymore. We don't have that structure. We don't have our basement dorm venue anymore. We want to play in the big city. We want to play in downtown Minneapolis. So how do you get the gig? And the way we did it was we band together with our friends' bands because it was a lot easier to present a bill to the venue on Monday night. We're like, you got three bands here. We require minimal payment (laughs) (laughs) because we just want to play. And that was how we started playing in in venues was just because we band together with our, our band it friends. was almost always the same three bands. Yeah, too. which that maybe we should have mixed it up a little bit because our friends got tired of seeing <laughs> that lineup. 
But I bet you all had each other's backs at that point, though, right? Yes. And it was in the early days, all of our college friends would come out and support us. And it was a nice thing in that way. And but then you get the experience of being at the venue. The venue knows you now. They know your name. You know, because you're playing a show, you get to be in the, you know, on the gig list. So just those little little steps kind of, you know, help get your foot in the door. Just finding the the few people that you can who are in your town who want to do the music thing and want to be in a band and then just trying to support each other and go to their shows or support, you know, share their music. And I think the other thing that we found is continuing to record music and release music has always been helpful. That's nice to, you know, find other bands that you like because you, you can listen to each other's music and so I think that's always a nice thing to have. Get a catalog going of your stuff. Sure. How did you actually form friendships with these other people in your scene? Because I know a lot of people struggle. Say they've started a band and like maybe they have a couple other musician friends, but you know, they find it really hard to, you know, become a member of the scene and really kind of get in. What suggestions would you have or experiences worked for you trying to really network with bands and become friends with those people? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think over the years, we've we've felt like we were or were not a part of the scene, like whatever the scene is. I mean, that's kind of the weird thing because it feels like it's always changing kind of like what the like groups are. And you can feel kind of closed off sometimes, too, if you don't feel a part of it. I was going to say just like going to shows Mm -hmm. all the time. I think that's a really big thing. And like, you know, it's like you need to show support for other people if you want support from other people, too. It's just like uh, just how it works. And you have to go to a bunch of shows and people will start recognizing you and just be nice to them and go up to them and say, hey, I liked this about your set or whatever. I think kindness but, is good as well. Yeah. <laughs> Just being a nice person. Because <laughs> um, I don't know. I, when I think about like that period, of, early period of our band, we were just going to a lot of shows and mm-hmm. playing like anything that was offered to us. Just like sheer volume of shows. We didn't even play like a ton, but we just took anything that we could and met a bunch of people that way. And Yeah, and I think I, I like... I like the experience of, you know, hearing someone on the, the radio station and being like, oh, that's a great song. Like, we should go to their show on Thursday. And it also helped we could, at the time we were living, so we could wander over to, you know, the best local venue. And, and that was great, too, because I've sometimes struggled to be as personable as I want to be when we are playing a show, because I still get kind of nervous before the gig. Some people are a lot better at just, like, vibing out backstage but i sort of like you know i'm just kind of like okay i get in the zone and then sometimes i feel like it's harder for me too i that's why i like working at the merch table because that's when i get to be like we did it, the show's over how are you guys how are you doing but it's nice to go to a show you're just in the crowd you got your beer you're saying that was a great show like i'm having a great time i can really talk to you and and uh, engage yeah yeah i just know a lot of people are maybe during the day, they're, they're looking at Instagram or whatever, and they're seeing this community that they're not quite a part of, and they're not quite sure how to break into that. And, you know, cold DMing doesn't really often work that well. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's great that, you know, you say get out and just hang out and be cool. Yeah. And I know it's hard at this particular moment in time to do that, but I'm hoping that we're nearing a time when we can all be together in venues again. Yeah, because I I struggle with communication via social media myself, and that's not my preferred way to connect with people. So I'm I am looking forward to being back in the in the venues. Same, same. Would love to know kind of about that transition. Say you're now getting signed after you're playing your three song set. <laughs> what changed after that conversation with Ian? Well. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, because that was that we played through. We knew how to play three songs, and that was our second show. But now we had kind of this confidence, and we had backing support from a small label, so nothing big. But it allowed us to release our our first official EP and 
record those songs. And that was a really great process for us. Um, I think it gave like a sense of urgency for that stuff too. Like, yeah. Oh, Ian's interested, you know, he's going to pay for the mixing. Like, let's do it. Let's finish it. Yeah. I think some people maybe struggle with getting stuff done or finishing stuff, but it was like, okay, you know, this guy wants to put something out. Like, let's, let's finish it. Yeah. Let's do it. At that point, I mean, we only had three songs, so it was sort of, okay, how do we put together a, a full like half hour set so we can start playing venues and but yeah we we practiced every every monday and wednesday for a while okay wow that's a very (laughs) good schedule (laughs) yeah and it was nice though too because we would um there's like a a pizza place in town um so it was our routine we'd all we go get pizza together on wednesdays that's that was our wednesday spot um i think we got burritos on mondays Oh, so you'd have band dinner together. Both fantastic foods, I will say. Thank you. I know. A little rough for singing right after, but it's just band practice. But in those days, rehearsal, we didn't re- really even have, you know, like now when we have rehearsal, it's just sort of like, okay, we know what the set is. We just need to make sure we're all feeling good and, you know, not rusty before a show. But then it was it was mostly like writing the songs and figuring out how to play songs that I had written and figuring out what our set was going to be as well as just trying to improve as players. Cause again, this was my first band. I had never performed like standing up because at open mic night, I'm just like sitting with an acoustic guitar. (laughs) So it's my first time standing playing guitar and being on a microphone. It's my first time using an amplifier which I had never done before. And it's my first time using pedals, which I had never done before. So, you know, just little things like that. They got to figure out that coordination. Um, wow. We're just sort of having fun and jamming and trying to figure out what kind of band we're even going to be. Cause that was still kind of, you know, we could go in any direction that we wanted to, but that was nice. What does that mean? Well, I don't know. It was just sort of like, we had no sort of idea of what kind of band Bad Bad Hats was. Bad Bad Hats was just sort of like my songwriting and like the three of us. And I think we kind of went through different ideas. Of, I think at first we were kind of like, we're like a surf rock band. And like, that's our style, <laughs> which our label referred to as Lake Rock. As what? Lake Rock. Lake Rock. Okay. <laughs> no surfs no around surf, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think that had to do with just being three people and trying to, you know, it's like the songs we could cover were kind of like Best Coast or something. And yeah. we were like, okay, well, maybe we'll just follow that yeah, maybe or something. Yeah, maybe sound like Best Coast. But in some ways, I think that sort of mentality has continued in the band, which is just that the band is just the songs that I write. And I don't really limit myself in the kinds of songs that I write which is made for a very a varied set of music that we play. We got some, you know, acoustic numbers, then we got some rockers. But I think that's what I kind of like about the band is mm-hmm. that just we can just kind of go in what, wherever we are inspired by at the moment. I will say that you guys are very much like all about the songs, at least from my perspective. You guys have great production, but I can really tell everything is centered around the song and not trying to, you know, necessarily have production gimmicks or, you know, rely on, oh, well, this is a cool sound or whatever. But like, no, we're, we're going to write songs. And if it rocks, we're going to rock. And if it's, you know, chill, we're going to lean into the vibe. Maybe this is me soapboxing a little bit about the current state of, uh, <laughs> of music. But, <laughs> you know, to me, it's refreshing to hear just music that's about the songs yeah well thank you because we do i think we do feel that yeah. way because for a long time because you have to write you know bios which i find very hard to do <laughs> you know it's like the write up on spotify or on the website and it's really weird to kind of try to describe what you do mm-hmm. i hope we can hire someone to do that in the future <laughs> so i don't have to keep doing it <laughs> So I think early on, I think I just wrote this because I had read this in other people's bios, but I was forever writing, you know, like Baba Hats and their like confessional songwriting or like their, you know, honest personal or yeah. like yeah, like like diary sure. songs. 
which is not like untrue. But the more I thought about it, because a lot of people, when they talk about how they write songs, they talk about sort of a sense of like, I have to, I have to write these songs because this is how I express like my emotions or like, I have to write these songs because this is like, this is like my diary. This is like my outlet for my, and you can hear that in a lot of people's music, but I think I thought I was that kind of songwriter, but I think more and more I realized that I'm more interested or my my passion is more like just the the process of like writing a song like as a, a whole, like the melody and the, the flow and the arrangement and the lyrics sort of whether or not it's like a confessional sharing of my feelings. I'm... What I enjoy about songwriting is is mostly just like the craft of creating a whole song. Yeah, can you share about what you've learned about that craft? I mean, summarize your <laughs> everything about songwriting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm learning every day, and that's also what I love about songwriting to me has always been like a pastime. It's like a hobby. To me, yeah, it is like it is like building like a a chair or something. It is something that you can like get good at the the craft of and get have your own style going. Yeah, your own style, but like you know the structure is really good. But then you also have the aesthetic is there. Um, then you have your own like personal touch. But I I love learning about just sort of the progression of like pop and rock music in the 20th century and just how music changes and like what's popular and how people write songs and sort of motifs of songs. And, and I, I just like really admire like sort of like Motown songwriters, just like hit makers um, who just like really figure out a a style that's catchy and uh, appeals to people. And just, you know, it's just like feels like scientifically structured to to hook you. And I know some people don't like that. You know, that why some people don't like pop music because it feels so formulaic and sort of like mechanical and the sort of like lacking in artistry because of that. But I I'm really interested in the particular things, you know, like repetition in a song or certain melodies or certain, you know, things you can do in a song. To make it just irresistible. I think that the pop, and I'm speaking broad pop, formula actually frees you up in a lot of ways to figure out how am I going to work within this framework? Because the framework, it works. <laughs> like, kind of as an analogy, if we look at movies, we would hate all movies if, you know, the story of the hero's journey didn't work. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of similarity between Star Wars and... Iron Man or whatever, you know, or or even like every other big drama or even comedy in a lot of ways. They have like a little bit of a similar formula because it's almost a format that like I think people just inherently understand. But like the creativity is like, how do you make that work? Because repetition as a literary device is important. Yeah. Sorry. My soapbox is done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the pop structure... I know. I, know. <laughs> I I do think, I mean, almost all of our songs are kind of like the basic pop structure, verse, pre-chorus, chorus a few times. And like, it does feel like a really, just like a jungle gym or something that you're like, all right, <laughs> we know kind of what we're going to do, but how can we do it differently than we did last time? And we know we want to get to the chorus and we want it to be, we want it to feel this way, but how are we going to use the pre-chorus to make it surprising or something. So yeah, I do, I do like that basic structure. And I should say that I don't think we, you know, we are still striving for every time we write a song, we're trying to get better and better. And I don't think we are, you know, master songwriters, but I think we're getting pretty good. And mostly I think when I write songs, I just like, I write songs that I think are catchy and I think are fun. And that's kind of all I think about. And I think, when I write songs, my goal is sort of like ease of liking the song. <laughs> I, I don't want any barriers to someone for someone to enjoy the song. Though sometimes, sometimes you like to put a little 
throw a little curveball. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I think, you know, it's like the second the song starts, I just want it to feel like, oh, this is great. This is e- this is easy breezy. Um, that's the kind of music I like to to make. But it's not your music also isn't so simple that it's just like generic. How how do you walk that line? Uh I to me, I think well, I should say that so our EP that we our first EP that came out, Chris and I just made that in our apartment. Um, we had it mixed and mastered in the It Hurts EP. The It Hurts EP, yeah, sorry. Um but then for our album, our first album, Psychic Reader, we were working on it in the same way. We we're just in our apartment toiling in Ableton. We had like a vision for this album, but we were just kind of felt like we were like hitting a wall. We we're just like it was not sounding the way we wanted to sound, and we just were unable to. No matter you know how many how many delay pills we bought, <laughs> it just wasn't coming together. Hey. <laughs> We didn't know anything about production, really. Always need more delay pedals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we still we still we still need some more. <laughs> but um, we didn't know anything about production, really. I mean, we had a microphone and Ableton, but like needed somebody to help us kind of convey what we were trying to do. Yeah. In a way that wasn't just like you know really DIY. Right. So we went on the internet and found. Brett Boulian, who's a local producer and mixer, and asked if he would work on our album. And he didn't get back to us till like the day we were gonna, you know, pass <laughs> on him. He was like, Oh man, sorry, I just got your email. Like, yeah, let's make a record. <laughs> <laughs> I think our our band's history has been kind of sprinkled with weird, weird like moments like that where it almost didn't happen. But then it mm-hmm. did. And so anyway, so Brett, I think Brett's entry into the story put us on on the path to whatever the Baba Hat sound is, because I think the combination of my love for just sort of like pop songwriting um, and sort of simplicity in arrangement for the benefit of sort of prioritizing the melody and the lyrics combined with Brett's sensibilities, which are much more experimental in terms of the production and trying different things. Um, I think when those worlds collided, that was a really important moment in our band's development. Yeah, I think he pushed us to not just have a loop, basically. <laughs> it's like, okay, we did, we did that loop like for the first verse. Like, Let's change it up. Instead of, you know, the demo that we would bring sometimes was like four chords the whole time. But he helped us kind of be like, all right, well, how about this? Right. Which I I still feel strongly, to me, that's the, that's how I write songs. And I, I don't put any hindrance on myself when I write songs. I never say to myself, oh, you use those chords already. Or I never say to myself, mm-hmm. you've written a million songs with power chords. Or I never say, you know, like... It's this too is simple this is two chords. I just yeah. I just write a song with whatever chords or whatever structure is inspiring me to finish the song. I never think about anything else until the song's done, and then I bring it to other people who say maybe this could be different chords, <laughs> and I say, "Great, that you can you can do that now." But I think that's but you write a ton of songs that way too. It's just like the number of songs that carries always working on I think has been a big benefit for yeah. the band and how many songs do you write um I think I write about I think I was I was trying to figure out because you know we're just sitting here all pandemic uh kind of with nothing to do so I've been making a lot of like spreadsheets and lists so I was like <laughs> oh I want to figure out like how many songs I've written <laughs> and I think I figured out I've written what I told I told you I think I've written like maybe like 200 like complete songs, which is like not honestly. I thought I thought it was more than that, but I write about like at least ten songs a year, like completely done. Yeah, when when our records take th- two or three years between each of them, I mean, we always have like twenty songs to pick from. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, but then I have you know like probably like a thousand like like oh that's a nice Snippets. line 
Yeah, it's like, oh, that's a nice little guitar thing. And you, you know, you're like, one day you'll be something, little guitar lick, but it takes time. <laughs> okay, knowing that this is good chance everything is going to be uh, changed after this, uh, this unnamed thing. What has been your, I don't want to call it a schedule because I'm, I'm asking in terms of years scope, like, Walk us through kind of what the different seasons are of your band. Yeah, we have kind of gotten onto like a, a sort rhythm. of a rhythm. This is our, because uh, between our first EP, they had Hertz EP, that's what we signed with Afternoon Records and that came out. Between then and our first album, that was pretty loose. That was like, we're rehearsing every week, we're eating pizza. We never left the Twin Cities. Yeah, we're just, really. we're just playing gigs in town, which was really great. I mean, I think we always talk about how, and I think when you were talking before about opportunities and creating opportunities, I think we always kind of had a philosophy early in the band. Um, I think that Chris mentioned that we would just say yes to things as they came up. There was no no event was too uncool for Baba Hats. <laughs> All events that want Baba Hats at them are inherently cool, <laughs> and we will play them. <laughs> so, and I think that benefited us. It was always, we always talk about this because there are certain gigs you get booked for and you're like, oh my gosh, we, I need to wear my best shirt. Our lives are going to change. Our lives are going to change forever. <laughs> this is the gig. With this gig. It's never. It's never that gig. <laughs> it's never always that. the gig that you're like, you just show up, you throw stuff out of the van, you play a show and all of a sudden, you know. Someone comes up to you afterwards and. That leads you down a, a whole new road or something. like. It's always that way. So that period was pretty loose. But then our album, Psychic Reader, came out. Mm-hmm. And we got our first tour. And basically, ever since that first tour, we've been on like in our yep. zone. Mm-hmm. We tour. We play about 100 shows a year. Oh, wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. We, we stay busy. And we that usually ends up being like... Three or four tours in a year, and then some like local shows, like weekend regional stuff. Yeah. yeah, play a lot of Midwest shows. We love playing a local block party. Let us know. Yeah, uh, so it's like a year or a year and a half or two years of like pretty good touring on an album, and then yep, Carrie's always writing sporadically at home in between that stuff. But then like stuff cools down, and we have just kind of regional shows or mm-hmm. whatever the demoing gets more serious we yep. start to get a little short list of songs we usually have to book the recording a couple months ahead of time so then yeah it's been about three years three years in between albums. each one coming out yeah and it takes six to nine months for it to come out once it's recorded always takes longer than you think but that's pretty much the schedule that's this that's the schedule three years between albums i think we could cut that down we could probably cut it down. <laughs> How in the world are you guys uh, booking a hundred shows a year? <laughs> yeah. Do you have help with that, or you just uh, you know live in your inbox? We oh, do no. not do it. Yeah, we have a booking agent named Brian, <laughs> who we got at one of those shows that we didn't think was going to be a big deal. Played the show. We opened for a Van Morrison cover band <laughs> at just a local bar, and it was super fun. It was a great show. It was a fun show, but we went into it being like, yeah. Uh, That'll be fun. What a, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. We play our show. We dance to the Van Morrison cover band, but the singer of the Van Morrison cover band was like, "You guys are great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send your name along to my friend who's a booking agent." And we're like, "Okay, sure. you do that." <laughs> sure, he's a booking agent. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out he is a booking agent, and he's been doing our booking ever since 2015. Yes, so we never had to do our own booking, which I think we feel very grateful for because we have many friends who've done that, and it's not the easiest thing. We to just do. don't have that skill at all. Yeah, yeah. What were a lot of the the different kinds of shows you played, especially early on? We played like a lot of local venues. Either we'd do mm-hmm. um, like bills with our friends Monday through Wednesdays. Yeah, <laughs> always. Yeah. We would play, um, every once in a while you would get, you know, um, a small band touring. They need a local band. 
you get your name in there sure. and you get to open at the you know 150 cap room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those always felt really fun because the touring band and you get to see kind of get a glimpse of the the touring life and that was always nice. And we played some regional stuff. There's a ski lodge in northern Minnesota that books <laughs> bands. So you get to go up there. You get a coupon for free skiing. We did not take advantage of that. <laughs> that was our mistake. So, yeah, just a lot of small venues. We would play just, like, small block parties, local block parties, colleges. That was, those are always fun gigs. But then once we got the booking agent, we were able to open on those first couple tours. So we opened for the Mina Birds. That was our first tour. And then right after that, we opened for Hippocampus, um, another Minnesota band. And that was really great. And then ever since then, it was just sort of, you know, I think because we had had experience and we're starting to build like a portfolio. I don't know what you call it. A tour history. A tour history, yes. Um, You know, we were considered for more tours. But also, we've just in the same way that we, you know, kind of said yes to any small gig or funny gig in town. We also have opened for a very wide variety of bands that you might not think would be a great fit for our music, but almost all of those tours were great and we made fans and mm-hmm. met great people. And so, I don't know, that's another thing. We just were like, if you, if you want to have us, <laughs> we'll try it out. See how it goes. <laughs> well, that almost sounds like your whole philosophy has just been like, yeah, we'll hang out and do music and make friends. And because, you know, you have like a very real and authentic attitude about it, it's ended up creating real authentic relationships and authentic connections and authentic opportunities. We think so. We hope so. I think so. We're not the most like outgoing band on Twitter or anything, but the relationships we do have are are good. Yeah. And feel real. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, I think that's really good that you point out, you know, well, we're not the most outgoing band on, on Twitter or, or whatever, because I think a lot of musicians try see what other people are doing and try to be something that they're not. And so because you may follow a bunch of people on Instagram or Twitter that are, you know, just really kings of social media or, or whatever, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's your path. And in fact, if you try to force that, like it probably won't work out for you just because like you're not going to be able to hit it consistently. You're not going to be authentic about it. So I, th- I think that's awesome that you figured out what you really excel at. Yeah, but I won't lie. It is. It does feel it's hard not to feel kind of the pressure of, you know, are we doing enough on all the various platforms? Are we doing enough at the show? Are we doing enough on social media? Um, so it is hard to navigate, I think, for a lot of bands but i do i do think what you're saying is ultimately true that's just you know if you can just not force any of it and you know i think people know when you're having fun and i think they they feel that and sense that and i think those are the bands i see a lot of young bands in the twin cities coming up and i think the ones that have kind of have the most success kind of growing are the ones that you just look at and say, that's that's a band that's just like loving the experience of being a band. And, you know, people sense that and want to be a part, a mm-hmm. part of that. Yeah. I think one thing we talk about somewhat often is just that like a Twitter follow or an Instagram follow like is just so different than a real fan or something. And that like the real people who you who you want to grab are like the people at your show or something. That that's like mm-hmm. a much deeper and yeah, just a deeper connection to your music or your art that's going to last as opposed to like you made like a funny joke on Instagram and <laughs> it went viral or something like that doesn't mean that people are going to come to your show. So and sometimes those overlap, you know, sometimes it's like you sure. get a you get a because we always find um, when we go on tour, you know, our follows kind of like tick up a little bit and we say that's awesome. It seems like we're connecting with people on this tour. You know, people saw us play and they were people at the show. They gave us a like. So there is some overlap, but I think, yeah, what Chris is getting at too, is that sometimes I get, you know, it's sometimes you get like bummed out about the numbers, but I think it's just important to, you can't focus, you can't put all your attention on that and all your like self worth as a band on that. Just, yeah. 
got to keep, you know, making good music and playing the shows and meeting people. And that's what's that's what lasts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way I've described it before is that you have a little bit of a funnel of fandom. So you have within your your overall scope of fans, you have, you know, your casual fans that, you know, is, is kind of maybe your largest group. But then beyond that, you have true fans that, you know, are are actually the ones who are willing to come out to the shows, hang out, maybe buy some merch, all that. And then beyond that, you have super fans who just like they level up to the point where they're they're almost obsessed with you and they will do anything with you. And they'll they'll drive hours and hours and hours just to see another show, even though they saw one the night before. That Yeah, that will never cease to amaze me. That. <laughs> right. But I guess, you know, too often I think people get fixated on the number of casual fans, like, you know, see, seeing those numbers go up. And yeah, those those are important to have your, your follower counts go up because, you know, that's maybe the first step in converting a casual fan into a true fan. But focus on, are you actually, you know, getting people that want to support you and that have got your back and everything? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. To me and what I've I've missed not being able to play shows is my my favorite part of playing the show. It's I like playing the show. I like playing the music. But my favorite part is uh, standing at the merch table after the show. And I just say hi to every single person who comes up. And whether or not they're buying a T-shirt, I just, I, I so appreciate the chance to, you know, thank people for coming to the show and, you know, making sure if they want to sort of have that personal connection that I'm there to do that. Yeah. Because people, there's a good chance they're just going to forget your set in a couple of days or, you know, even as soon as they walk out. But if they talk with you, they're going to remember that. They're going to remember, you know, oh, it was cool. We talked about, you know, this and this and this, and they're really awesome. And yeah, maybe I'll, I'll come around to the to the show the next time they're in town. Yeah. And we, you know, we've toured with a lot of bands and played with a lot of bands. And I know there are some bands who they do not go to the merch table. They don't like working the merch table, they hire someone to do it. But to me, it's just a line of people that want to say a nice thing to you. (laughs) I really like that experience. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way of thinking about that. Just kind of as we wrap up here, I'd love to know what is something that you wish you had knowledge of or access to when you were first getting your start? Hmm, That's an interesting question. I do feel... No one's ever asked me this before. <laughs> hey, that's what we try to do here. Speechless. <laughs> I mean, I do feel like it's been, as I get older, it's always a growing experience, like just what we were just talking about, um, sort of finding your joy and making music and, and separating that from whatever success does or does not mean in the music business side of things. Because I think, you know, when I was younger, you just, you take a lot of things much more like personally. It's like if you don't get the show, if you don't get the radio play, if you don't get the whatever, but just sort of having a better sense of of it. I mean, even just very basically like not being a competition, just like focusing on your own thing and your own path. And that's something I've, as I've gotten older, has become much easier to sort of have that mindset. So it would have been great to have that mindset all along, but sometimes you just need to grow into that. But yeah, I don't know what else, Chris. I don't know. That's probably the best. I think we've always had a pretty good attitude, but seeing things from an outside perspective and trying to have like a positive outlook about what you're doing. And like for us, what we were doing is just playing music with our friend Noah Mm-hmm. all the time and like we often think back about like how fun that was when it was just Monday and Wednesday and like you know 10 shows a year or something yeah and like trying to keep that mindset through to the point where it, it became our job and like is how we pay the bills and stuff now but there are times where you feel like the job side of it where it really feels like a job or something and which is like the dream. Which is the dream, but at the same time, trying to you remember. can lose the magic of it sometimes. Yes. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's not exactly what you're asking, but I just feel like uh, if I could have told myself, hey, it's going to be like a slow process, and it's going to mm-hmm. take 10 years, and 
it's just good to enjoy when you're standing on stage and playing music like that you get to do that and that it's a part of your life and like it's it'll be part of your life even if your band isn't successful or it comes to an end or anything like that right enjoying the journey enjoy the journey <laughs> and don't worry about your delay pedals or whatever <laughs> it's like that's not important yeah we just got we just got a um a drum sample pad so we'll see if we wish we had had that all along. <laughs> hey, drum sample pads are cool. Yeah, we you have know? a feeling we're going to say, why on why earth did we, did we not? So long? Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. The jury's still out on that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, Carrie and Chris of uh, Bad Bad Hats, it's a little bit of a tongue twister. You got it, though. <laughs> I did it. I did it. Thanks so much for coming on today and talking with us. Thank you for Thanks. thinking of us. Yeah, it was nice. Of uh, I listened to the Future Teens episode and really enjoyed it. Yeah, they're some of our favorite people in the music industry. So thank them for the shout out. Shout <laughs> out to them as well. Um, but yeah, thank you for having us. So that's it for my conversation today with Bad Bad Hats. Hope you got something out of that. Real quick before we go, a couple of things. First, stay tuned next week. We're going to be talking more about our community that we're launching on Discord. We just want to put together a little place where we can get together with fellow musicians and connect and kind of have a little bit more sense of community and growth and meeting people. Still while we're uh, maybe in the last few months of kind of being locked up, not really having shows and everything. So we're going to be launching that soon. Stay tuned for that more official announcement next week. Also, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you just to leave a quick five-star review. It helps more people find this show. And if you are someone that is wanting to write and demo all of your stuff at home, we've put together some great synth presets for Logic Pro that you can go and download. It's called Songwriter Sounds. Just go to evergreenrecords.com slash songwriter sounds to sign up. There's also going to be a link in the show notes. But for now, that's it, and we will see you next time.